Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Positively Unique podcast. This is Lauren Nichols, and my podcast focuses on my favorite coaching topic, burnout. As a certified professional coach, I aim to help my clients shift from burnt out to on fire. Each episode will feature a topic specific to burnout. I create each episode with you in mind, providing helpful tips, tricks, and lessons learned to help you make the small shifts and start seeing big changes. Today's episode features an amazing therapist and dear friend of mine, Caroline Taylor. Caroline started her career in the entertainment industry in LA, and like many, she suffered from severe burnout. Through that, she has found her true calling and passion. Caroline is now a licensed marriage and family therapist specializing in spiritual and depth psychology. She provides virtual psychotherapy, counseling, and healing for individuals, teens, and couples who are looking to find a more meaningful way of connecting with themselves, their higher purpose, and the collective community around them. If you have ever considered therapy, Caroline is a wonderful resource and so helpful to everyone she interacts with. You can find her virtually under the name Carefully Therapy. In our episode today, we discuss burnout specific to empaths, a group hit hard by the feeling of complete exhaustion. Caroline shares her tips and tricks to recognize and start alleviating some of the symptoms of burnout. You are going to learn a lot in this episode, so sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hi, Caroline. Welcome to the show. Hi, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. I am so excited to have you today. My dear friend, Caroline, um, do you want to just give a little background about yourself for our listeners? Yeah, 100%. My first background is that I have known Lauren since we were like probably almost in diapers, if not in diapers. I was was actually thinking about that. I was like, how... How did we actually know each other? I, I, <laughs> I know really, I've known you my whole yeah, life. But. Whole life. Like I don't have memories without you. So it had to be that early. But I think it was one of those like, you know, pregnant moms around the same time or moms with like little kids and our moms were kind of in similar friend groups. And so we just kind of ended up, I think, in play groups together. Totally. It's so fun. I know. It's so fun. And then I love that we both went into kind of mental health, coaching, therapy, like just the same things. And that we both did other careers before we got into this. So lots of similarities to talk about, which is fun. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to talk a little bit about like your career path? I know we both kind of took this different path to get to a mental health profession, but do you want to talk a little bit about how you got here? Yeah, hundred percent. Like I said, I uh, worked in entertainment for 10 years out in Los Angeles um, and thought I wanted to be in movies and that was really great. But um, kind of some of the stuff we'll get into today, I was always just such a sensitive person. I mean, ever since I was little and working in entertainment was such a strain on me because the pressure is so big. The misogyny is so present. Um, it was really intense and it really took a toll on my mental health. And I found myself, I was a, an assistant to a bunch of like producers, a director and some studio execs. And I found that I was really good as an assistant, but what I needed a therapist to point out was that I was actually acting more like a therapist than I was like an assistant. I mean, I was taking care of all of their needs to a point where it was draining me. It was kind of killing me, honestly. Um, But that kind of helped me realize that one of my gifts is to be 
empathic is to help people kind of on their journey to help heal. And I needed to get out of entertainment and kind of do that for a living. So that was when I went back to grad school, got my master's in psychology, and now I'm a therapist. I have an all virtual private practice called Carefully Therapy. Um, And I see clients who live in California and Colorado, and we do some of that mental health healing work. I love it. Um, It's so funny. We had very different stories, but also very similar. Like both went through the burnout to find what it is that we really wanted to do. Um, Sometimes you have to hit rock bottom before finding out exactly who you are and what you want to be when you grow up. Yeah. Um, And I, I always get really like sensitive around that too, because I do think I absolutely hit rock bottom. And I think people think of that as failure and it's like, no, 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 that can totally be just the door opening for a totally new path. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I thought that for sure. When I thought about quitting my job for the first time, I was like, well, I can't quit. I don't want to be a failure. I have nothing to show. If I quit this, I can't do anything else if it's not in finance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I felt that way for a long time. And that feeling, which is really daunting of like, wow, I put 10 years into something. Like, how can I start over and be the beginner again? It's a real ego check. Um, but if you do that work, I really think it just feels so much better on the other side. I'm so much more fulfilled doing this than I was ever at entertainment. Absolutely. I a hundred percent agree with you. (laughs) So burnout is like such a topic these days. I see article after article after article when I pull up my phone. Um, and we all define it in a little bit different way. So I'm curious, what's your definition of burnout? Excuse me. Um, For me, burnout, caveat, of course, it looks different for everybody, but I do think that like if you've never felt depression before and you feel those low lows that that I can't get out of bed, I'm feeling hopeless, I'm not feeling fulfilled, you know, it's just a total draining quality. I think that's kind of how I see it. And I, I like to talk to my clients about getting in touch with their body feelings. And I think burnout, you can really feel in the body. Um, it's just that kind of exhaustion and a sense of hopelessness um, that I think combined can make you feel really, really low. Absolutely. You mentioned depression too. Um, I think the feelings are very similar, but I think oftentimes people think like, I'm burnout, I'm feeling exhausted. Am I depressed? How do you see that with clients a lot? 100%. I think, especially because we haven't gotten a lot of mental health education, like pretty much not in our school systems. And so if you weren't given that from the outside, you know, you may know the buzzword of depression or anxiety, but that might be the only two categories that you think that there are. Um, That's also why I like the distinction between therapy and coaching, right? Because if somebody's in burnout, maybe what they need is a coach, kind of that motivating factor, helping you turn that hopelessness into some concrete plants. I think if it's dipping into depression, you might need more of a therapist because that might be some trauma coming up, some things that you really need to maybe go over with somebody and process before you can kind of get to the step of like, now I can be motivated to move on with my life. Absolutely. And for somebody who's done both, um, I think, you know, I was in therapy for reasons other than my burnout. And when my burnout became a real thing, I felt those same kind of feelings of 
depression and anxiety. Mine was more on the anxiety side, um, kind of some OCD stuff. But when you have those same feelings, it can be really daunting and it can feel like, oh my gosh, am I getting depressed again? And so burnout, moral of the story is it's hard and it's exhausting and it can really, really put a toll on your body. A hundred percent similar to depression. I think they, they carry very similar symptoms, but I love that you are talking about burnout specifically as a concept, because I think, I think we're onto something that they're not the same thing. Totally. Um, so let's kind of switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about empaths. So I think you self-define as an empath. So I'm curious, can you just explain what that means a little bit? Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's funny. I think not everybody believes that like being an empath might be a thing or right now, some people are calling it like a highly sensitive person or an HSP, but I can only speak to my experience that even from like as young as I can remember, I just felt things so deeply and that can be a movie, a song, you know, an argument with a friend or a parent. I just felt these washes of emotion. And I would truly wonder why more people weren't affected in the same way about things than I was. Um, I think that showed up in both positive ways where I can get so into music or a movie or a book. And I truly feel like I'm living inside of whatever it is. The downside to that is that it can, it can put me under for days, you know, like things that I think other people can throw over their shoulder and like let wash over them and then move on. I have a really hard time moving on sometimes. Yeah. You're almost feeling double the feelings. Like you're feeling what you feel and then you're feeling what whatever the person you're with feels. And then whoever's on TV, you're feeling all their feels. Totally. Yeah, totally. Um, I like to say that like the difference between just like having sympathy and empathy is sympathy means, you know, you can feel for somebody, you can see maybe they're in pain and you can feel, I mean, I don't know, pity, but sympathy is kind of that, oh, I feel for them empathy is like, I'm feeling it with them. I'm literally putting myself in their shoes in that moment and feeling exactly what they're feeling as if they're my own. And as a therapist, that can be an amazing tool because I can step into session with somebody and I can truly, in my opinion, feel what they're going through. And then we get to sit in it together and kind of decide what's working, what's not working, what's theirs, you know, what they need to let go of, all of that stuff. But my work is then stepping out of the session and letting go of those emotions that are not mine. And that can be really hard for people who are empaths or HSPs. Yeah, so being an empath in an industry where you're trying to give to people and you're giving all day, it sounds like that can be pretty exhausting sometimes. A hundred percent. And it's funny, when I went to um, graduate school to become a therapist, that was probably like the first year of work. Like we really had to learn all these tools and tricks of being able to let go of that energy. And I would say, I'm sure like therapists, it's like 75% are probably empaths because we get into this industry, not afraid of feelings, right? We're so kind of used to them and they're almost like friends of ours and we can try them on and they come and go. But 
we really needed to learn and practice the skills of letting that go because those emotions aren't ours. And that can, it, you know, like a ship, it can take you down with the ship. Yeah. And it, I agree with you, like being a therapist and having seen my own therapist, it's so important for them to be able to understand what you're going through and to tell you that it's okay to feel that way and that they understand why you feel that way. Because it's, it can feel so lonely sometimes when you're going through something and to have somebody sit there and be like, I'm feeling this with you can be really powerful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I don't think you need to be like a therapist or somebody who works in this industry to have this. Like I, I see, you know, empaths all the time and it's interesting too around, like, I'd like to do more work, I think around people who are on the autistic autism spectrum as well, because I think there is a spectrum of just how we all feel emotions, you know, and it's not black or white, but you might have autism and you might be like sensory overload might be so intense for you. Um, So point being, I think everybody could use some of these tricks and tools of how do I distinguish what's mine, what's theirs, how do I let go, um, but also how do I use it as an amazing skill to help me tune into situations or people. Um, yeah, it's kind of that blessing and curse, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So do you see a connection between empathy and burnout? 100%. Yeah, I do feel like empaths are more likely to burn out. Um, because I think when you have a higher frequency for feeling these things and you don't have the tools to set boundaries around them, it can just be an influx of emotion all the time. And I think that can really put you under, you know, and I think that can lead to burnout. And, and then all of a sudden going to work that day just feels like too much, you know, talking to somebody on the phone feels like too much. Interacting with somebody feels like too much you're starting to feel like everything is too much, that's when I start to question like, okay, where, I say to people like, where's your fuse? Because mm-hmm. I like to think like, how close are you to that burnout, that rock bottom, that moment where you really aren't going to go to work. You're gonna stop returning phone calls. Like you're gonna have to start, you're gonna have repercussions for how you're reacting in burnout. Do you think, I love that question, first of all, of like, where's your fuse? Do you feel like people are able to like sit there and be like, this is exactly where it is? Do you think they can define it? I think that's where it's easier to do when you have somebody, not to just plug therapy, but I think having a therapist or a coach who's sitting there with you trying to define where the fuse is, is a little bit easier than doing it by yourself because it is so hard when you're in the midst of the waterfall to kind of figure out where your boundaries are, where your fuse is. Yeah. And I think on top of that, we have a tendency to tolerate so much and we can tolerate so much. And I, I hear people talk a lot about like the last year with COVID and I wish I was more resilient. And I think through it and I'm like, we are pretty darn resilient. Like we made it through that year and that's crazy. But because we're so used to this tolerating and being able to tolerate so much, I think people forget how much they've actually been through and how crazy of a year it's been. Mm -hmm. And I think Americans in particular, because we're so driven by capitalism and success, and that's driven into us in such an early age, I think we do just like pack things on our back, you know, and go until we literally can't anymore. 
Um, and, and that's hard because then if you get to that point, again, I think that's when the symptoms of burnout or depression or whatever, then they really stop you from kind of finding the resources to get you out if you're already there. That's why I think the fuse question is really important because we don't want to wait until the fuse has already gone out. You know, we right. want to work with whatever little fuse we have until you hit that point. Right. And I think a lot of people and myself included, wait till we hit that end of your fuse. Like it's, it's not a fun place to be. I will say that, <laughs> you know, as well, it's, it's something that, you know, we think we can keep going and keep going. And then all of a sudden we hit that breaking point. And for me, that was just straight up quitting my job with nothing lined up. I mean, I, I had nothing, but I, I literally couldn't go to work one more day. That's mm -hmm. Like you were saying before, like I couldn't pick up the phone and call a client. I was in tears every day on my way to work mm -hmm. and on my way home from work. And after a client call, like I would have to do laps around the building just to like cool my mind. hundred percent. I, that happened to me. I quit an entertainment job. I remember I walked into my boss's office. I didn't even know what I was going to say, but I knew that I was having all these symptoms. I was you know, reaching for any self-soothing, smoking weed. If it was a drink at the end of the day, it was not working out. Like you can start noticing yourself reaching for other things or whatever the symptoms are. But I walked into my boss's office and I was like, I'm really struggling. I need help. I need you to hire another assistant. And they said no. And I just quit on the spot because I knew that one more day, one more hour, I wasn't going to be able to handle it. And I'm not super proud of that quitting. You know, I don't think I left in the most respectful way in that moment. And I think I burned a bridge with that boss. They were so shocked that I would do that and literally left the next day. Um, <clears throat> that was not the correct way to handle it in my opinion, but that's because I was already at burnout. I had no fuse left. I had gone in kind of with my hands up of like, you better grant me this or I'm gone. Um, that's how desperate I was. So, you know, if anybody listening can relate to that, I do, I would love them to check in with that fuse, offer some kindness around it, be like, oh yeah, I just, I was at the end. I had no fuse left and that's okay. But hopefully next time you can kind of recognize the signs before it gets to that point. Yeah, that's a great story. And I'm wondering, I've been thinking about this too myself, having done the work that we've done now and really getting in touch with what burnout means and kind of the symptoms and how to avoid it. Do you think your experience in entertainment would be different knowing what you know now? Great question. You know, I don't know. Sometimes there is a toxicity to an environment that doesn't vibe well with our soul and being. And I think that was entertainment for me. I think I needed to vibrate, you know, at a different frequency. That stress for me every day as a sensitive person, that was never going to be a healthy environment. And that's not really entertainment's fault. Um, but it's, it's my own responsibility to understand what environments I can thrive in and which ones I can't. And a high paced, stressful, very sexist environment is not where I thrive. I think that was always going to be the case. Yeah. What I will say is after I had that sensational quitting, I went back to entertainment. I took some time off. I traveled by myself, um, used up all the savings I had, and then I had to get a job again. And so I had to go back to entertainment because that was the only skills I had. 
But what I will say is I went back with a little bit more of a fuck it attitude, kind of knowing, okay, I know what it's like to reach a point of no return. I need to make money right now. So I need an entertainment job. But I started, then I started seeing a therapist and a spiritual healer. And that was when I started being like, okay, what can I do in the future? What can I, you know, how can I kind of be in an environment that's right for me? And that was when I started doing the work and was like, oh, I want to be a therapist. But it took going back to an entertainment job, right? Like we all, you have to make certain decisions of how you can live your life and live each day, but you can do the work at the same time if you have a long enough fuse. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. It depends on how long that fuse actually is towards the end. (laughs) How long is it going to burn until it doesn't any longer? Mm -hmm. Um, Full disclosure, I almost did the same thing. So when I quit my job, I left for like a month. And when I came back after that month, the feelings of burnout didn't just magically disappear. Unfortunately, it was great for the time I was gone. And I had a great time living with my brother and sister-in-law But I came back and I was like, I have no other skills than to be in fintech. And so I started kind of applying to jobs and I found one and I was like this close to getting it. And they ended up having like a hiring freeze for their company. And the guy even told me, he was like, we probably would have hired you if this didn't happen. And I was like, I think this is actually a blessing in disguise. Like this is my out. Like this Mm -hmm. is... I don't want to do this. And I don't know why I'm sitting here interviewing to do this. And that's when I ended up hiring my coach. And one of the first questions that she asked me was about my values. And I, I couldn't answer it. I was like, I'm embarrassed sitting here to tell you that I don't know what my values are. And I think kind of what you were talking about is entertainment was such a misalignment with your values. Like it didn't check any of the boxes. And I think when you're in a position like that, it's really hard to make it work. I think for me, there were some values that I wasn't bringing to the table, but that was kind of because of who I was being when I was there. I wasn't being my authentic self when I was at that job. And so the values could be present, but they weren't because I was forcing them to not be because I thought I should be like somebody else. I put out a blog post about how I lied on Myers-Briggs because I, I answered the questions in terms of how a salesperson would answer them because I thought if I could just answer them this way, then that's, I'll become that person and I'll be good at sales. I love that disclosure. <laughs> that's amazing. Cause we, I think we all do that. Um, especially in our twenties, you know, like it really took me late twenties, early thirties to kind of figure all of this stuff out. Um, because I think you have to go through a period of like, what don't I want to do? You know, what can I try things? Can I fall on my face? Like all of those things. But the sooner I think you can get in touch with those feelings, like you said, what are your values? Those are what are going to lead you to that more authentic life. Yeah. And even if it's, you know, you're starting to experience that burnout a lot of times when I talk to clients it's because of that misalignment with values and when we understand what's missing from their job it doesn't mean they have to quit their job it just means that they need to bring more of what's missing into their job and they didn't realize that that was missing Mm -hmm. 100% so when you think of burnout what are some of and especially as an empath what are some of the warning signs before we get to that super short fuse that you see? Mm -hmm. I think specifically for empaths, you know, we are people who feel everything all the time. 
so having a, a quote unquote, like negative feeling, or even being super exhausted, that can start to feel like just everyday life. Like you've felt this before. It's not that different. Um, for me at that time, when I hit that burnout and then quit, kind of like I shared, it was reaching for substances to numb myself because I couldn't deal. It was lashing out at people that I don't normally lash out at. Um, so it was more like when things that felt very uncharacteristic of me started to feel like my everyday life, because if we just look for like the tiredness feeling or whatever, you know, for empaths, I really do think that can be like a couple times a day. I think it's when your personality is really starting to look different than it did, let's say six months ago, and you're wanting things that are different, um, you're acting different, you're yelling at people, you know, just looking for a shift in personality. And that to me is the subconscious screaming at you to make a change. Totally. It's almost like you start becoming somebody else that you're not. Yeah. And like you said, when you hit the end of the fuse, it's like you start doing things that are so uncharacteristic of yourself. Exactly. Like just walking into your boss's office and just quitting right there. Yeah. And I think after those events, it brings up so much shame because for me, at least it was like, wow, you're better than this. This is not what you normally do. This is, you know, the shoulds, as you talked about, just start flooding in. And that's where I think it can slide into more of a depressive state, right? Because that shame compounded with the should compounded with the burnout that can get us to a pretty dark place pretty quickly. Yeah. I like to call it the downward spiral. And it's really hard to climb out of there. It is. It, it really is. And that's, again, why it can be so important to figure out where your fuse is, because we want to kind of avoid when there is no longer one. Um, and especially if you don't have the resources set in place, like I, I try to tell people, doesn't have to be me, but try to get a therapist if you can before you hit that wrong bottom um, so that you have somebody to reach out to if you get there. It can be really hard when you're at rock bottom to then want to go find a therapist to start something to, you know, so trying to yeah, help when you're yourself feeling out. when you're feeling that like complete hopelessness and lack of motivation. The last thing you want to do is like scroll through mm -hmm. the internet to find a therapist. And that, that in and of itself, even the looking up therapists in Denver, mm -hmm. for example, like can feel like the hardest thing in the entire world. Mm -hmm. Like the smallest step can feel completely daunting when you're at that level. Mm -hmm. so I think true. One other important difference with empaths too is we tend to be kind of the therapists of our family or our friend group. Um, so we're really used to taking care of everybody else and their feelings. And I think when an empath hits burnout, it can shift really quickly into resentment for having done so much emotional work for other people um, and that they are not willing or really capable of doing that for ourselves. That's another reason that hiring somebody to help you do the work is better than just expecting your friends or family to do that work for you because they might not be as emotionally attuned as you. They might not be as good at holding emotions as you are. Um, so really making sure I think for empaths in particular that they have somebody who's trained to really help them because you know, you help everybody else. Why don't you deserve that help back? Right. And I think on, just on top of that too, like having somebody who's able to bring awareness with you 
to the situation. I think, I know for me, like I wasn't very emotionally attached to how I was feeling and I wasn't really aware of some of the warning signs that we've talked about. And so having somebody that's able to help you recognize what your warning signs are is super important before you get to the point of like sitting on your couch and not even wanting to look for help because you're so, so out of tune with it. Totally. And it doesn't have to be forever. You know, I mean, if you can find a coach or a therapist and get in there and, and learn some of these tools, learn where your fuse is, learn some symptoms that you should watch out for, for next time that you get close to burnout, like those lessons will stay with you forever. Um, so I do think it's worth going in and trying to help yourself a little bit because it sets you up for an easier future. Absolutely. And you and I know that having gone through what we've gone through, but mm-hmm. it's hard it's hard when you're at that stage of just tolerating right now to really feel like you need the help because you can put up with it and you can tolerate for who knows how much longer, um, maybe the rest of your life, but it's not fun to just tolerate. So what do you think are some of the, let's talk about boundaries. So what do you think some of the healthy boundaries are, especially for an empath to help avoid the burnout situation? Mm Mm-hmm. I think for an empath, you have to look at everything as stimulation. Um, Because again, you can feel all the emotions from a song or a movie. So I think having boundaries with what kind of outside stimulation you're letting into your nervous system is really important. Having boundaries and rules if you can around social media like I know for me social media can be really really triggering because I can log on Instagram and there's just all the world's pain on display and that can send me into a huge spiral of like there's nothing I can do to help climate change there's nothing I can do to help these people like how am I making a difference all these things and I can feel them really really deeply um it's hard for me to set those boundaries but I think looking at everything as stimulation has helped because then I'm not as hard on myself. If I'm like, I can't watch this movie right now because I know that I'm going to go live in that world and it's going to be hard to recover after. Um, so I think first setting boundaries with things that you wouldn't realize are affecting your nervous system. Um, and then the next step I think is the people in your life and how to set boundaries verbally with them around just your own energy. Um, it's funny. I have, I have this trick with my best girlfriend where she knows I'm a therapist, obviously, and she's very aware of that. And we've had to, she, she kind of learned this trick of if she has something that she wants to talk to me about and it might be serious or, you know, it might evoke an emotion in me. She'll say, do you have the room to hear this right now? And it sounds so simple, but that one phrase kind of changed my life and our friendship. And I'm able to, in that moment, come to the table of being like, you know what? I don't have the energy for this right now. I don't have the room. Can we talk about this tomorrow? And so I started practicing with my best friend, this, you know, kind of, I don't know, this trick, I guess. Um, And it's helped me check in with myself before I take on the emotional labor. And now I can tell my partner to say the same thing, or I can tell my dad to say the same thing. I think practicing with somebody you're really close with in the beginning is really helpful, who gets you and understands you're sensitive. And then going to the 
kind of next level people in your life and saying, Hey, you know, next time you want to share something with me, could you just ask if I have the room for it? Cause I may not always. I love that. Um, I think what you said too, I don't even know if you realize what you said, but you said practice with somebody that you're close with. And I think with boundaries, a lot of times we can be so hard on ourselves because whatever boundary we're setting, even if it's not what we just talked about, if we don't abide by that boundary, then we really get down on ourselves. And then that also starts that downward spiral because you feel worthless, right? When you can't even hit that boundary, whether it's like super simple or not, we're so hard on ourselves. And so I love that you use the word practice because boundaries when we're starting out have to be practiced. You can't just expect to set a boundary today and then by tomorrow, your life has completely changed. A hundred percent. And trust me, the first couple of times I did this with my friend, I often went down on my own boundary. You know, I was so excited that she was respecting me, that my sensitive people-pleasing nature then felt more compelled to give her what she wanted. And that was something I really had to work through because then she would, you know, maybe just tell me something that was going on with her or needed a little friend help. And I wasn't ready for it. And I did need time. And that was when I had to practice my voice again of being like, sorry, friend, you know, I told you I had the energy right now, but I actually don't. Um, can we revisit this later? And the nice thing about doing it with a friend, hopefully, is she says, absolutely. Like she gets it. She knows what I'm practicing. She knows that this is hard for me. And it doesn't mean I'm not a good friend. Cause guess what? We're going to go revisit the topic tomorrow. She can hold that, you know, if it's an emergency, that's something, but having it, a relationship with somebody where you're like, Hey, I really need to practice this. This is going to help my mental health. Cause I'd like to do it with more people. Can you hold this for me? I think you'd be surprised. I think people then are impressed that you're kind of taking care of yourself in that way. And my friend says that she now does it with everybody. Um, you know, she'll ask them if she has something serious to tell them, do you have the room for this? And it's made her relationships better. Yeah. I really like that question. I'm going to steal that for sure. <laughs> Um, so what other tips or tricks do you have? Like not necessarily boundaries, but anyone who's starting to feel those feelings of burnout? Yeah, for sure. Um, first and foremost, maybe find a therapist and a coach kind of help you. Um, but I, I have a couple, the, I love that one of practicing bound boundaries with your voice verbally, but we also know that that's really difficult. Um, stopping somebody when they come to you and need you for something is really hard. What I try to say to my clients is it's a little bit like if you believe a diagnosis helps you or not. For me, being an empath, being kind of diagnosed as a highly sensitive person or an HSP, that really helped me know that boundaries are harder for me than other people, emotional boundaries. So I have to work extra hard in knowing that. So I think the first thing is maybe that kind of self-diagnosis of like, oh, wow, I am an empath. Like I've always known that I feel things a little bit deeper than other people, that when I hear a sad story, I literally feel sad, like it's happened to me. And so first I think is just learning to identify as that maybe forgive yourself for that. Realize that that's also your superpower. Um, 
And then trying to set those boundaries verbally with your friends of what, what energy is coming in, what's coming out boundaries with social media, movies, music, you know, again, of like checking in with yourself of, can my energy handle this right now? Do I want my energy to be swayed so far into excitement, anger, sadness, you know, realizing that your energy spectrum can be swayed by things like that. Um, and then I also have two breathing exercises Ooh, um, that I, yeah, that I will absolutely share. And these are my two favorite because I think they're the most simple and you can do them anywhere. But the first one is taking an inhale for four, hold for four, exhale for six. And the main point about this is that when we exhale longer than our inhale, it turns on our parasympathetic nervous system. And the PNS, the parasympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system is what gets turned on when we sleep. And so it turns on digestion, it turns on rest and relaxation. But we can trick it to turn on during the day by exhaling longer than our inhale. And so that right there, I love to think of it as like this parachute that can kind of slowly bring you back down to the surface. So if you're really activated, if you're in an emotional place that you don't want to be really trying to sit and breathe and just make sure that your exhale is longer than your inhale. That's one. The second trick I have is nostril breathing. And I know you guys can't see me, but if you plug one of your nostrils with your thumb and you inhale from that nostril, hold, plug the opposite nostril with your finger and exhale from that nostril. And you do this a couple of times. It works similar to the way that EMDR works of turning on both sides of your brain or stimulating okay. both sides of your brain. And that too will bring your nervous system down to a more calm state. So those are two kind of quick breathing exercises, but like I will be in a situation and I will literally be like plugging my nose, breathing in, like plugging the other side, breathing out. People are looking at me weird, but I promise you it'll work. Yeah. I love those. Those are great recommendations. And I think it's so simple, right? Like it's such a simple exercise that you can literally do anywhere when you're sitting at your desk, in your car commuting, like whenever you're feeling those feelings of anxiety and stress and like you can't calm down I think those are such great like reasonable tools to use for yeah, I think if we can look at our nervous system as something that is separate to our being we might be able to then take a little bit more responsibility and control of it right so if it's less a character trait of yours of like oh I'm just an anxious person it can, we can reframe it into, okay, my nervous system is revved up right now. Therefore I'm feeling anxiety. What can I do to bring down my nervous system and maybe turn on the parasympathetic nervous system, that parachute that's going to bring me down to a more manageable level. Love it. So great. Thanks. Um, so just kind of wrapping up here, is there any other any other burnout things you need to get off your chest? <laughs> I, I want to just say that, like, I think everybody will go through burnout at a certain time. Um, I don't think it's something that we should stigmatize or think it's wrong. Again, I have the story of 
quitting spectacularly from the job that, you know, anybody would have killed for. And I was making the most money I'd ever made, but that's not failure. That just means that I had gotten to a point where my nervous system was shouting at me, you have to make a change. This is not your authentic life. You know, you can do better. And so listening to that, again, it's not a failure. It's just data. And our bodies are trying to tell us something. And I think if we listen to that, we can get to a road where that just doesn't feel like our story anymore. I also really appreciated, like, I listened to your other episode with your dad. And I thought it was really interesting to investigate the generational differences. Um, I found myself getting a little angry. I'm not going to lie at kind of the boomer generation and how they viewed burnout and how they view it now. And so I'd also like us to just keep in mind that generations did things differently. You know, our parents lived in a very different world. And so they were able to function, I think at a different level, maybe stay in a job longer in that unhappiness, whatever it was. But we don't have to culturally be in the where the generation was before like we get to redefine happiness authenticity you know who we are as individuals now it doesn't have to be how a previous generation did it totally and I think they did the same thing in their generation and I'm sure their parents may not have understood it you know it's kind of cyclical like that but I also think too like the boomer generation like they were coming off of a world war like as much as craziness is going on right now, like, I don't know what that's like. And I think for a lot of them, like the husband's coming back, like finding a job, it's like, they didn't really have another choice. Mm -hmm. Like they weren't able to find another option. Like they just needed to support their families and they did whatever they could to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that was a very interesting point too. Cause that's something that I have, like, I, I don't, think I'll ever understand that like what they were going through at that time mm -hmm. just like they don't understand what we're going through right now 100% and that comparison I think can lead to a lot of that revving up of the nervous system right like oh well my dad stayed at his job for 30 years or oh you know my mom was a stay-at-home mom and she was perfectly happy like why am I not happy why am I feeling x um and so just giving yourself some kindness around it. That again, it doesn't have to be, oh, I'm depressed or, oh, I'm too anxious and I can't get out of this. Like these emotions are data. And if we try to listen to what they're telling us, it might be leading us to a more authentic life. You know, it's going to be hard to get there. It's going to take some work. Um, but clearly your, I think, subconscious is shouting at you to take that risk. Yeah, I love it. I love how you just said emotions are data. Cause I think we're so quick to judge emotions and any bad emotion isn't good and we shouldn't feel that, but it's trying to tell you something. Mm -hmm. um, I run an assessment now it's called the energy leadership index assessment. And it basically puts like a numerical value to your energy. Okay. So how you're feeling every day. And then also under stress, like, what does that look like? And the idea is there's seven different levels of energy from level one being like that complete burnout hopelessness to level seven which is like there are no judgments and everything's just happening and everything just is and you're able to accept that um and I think it's really interesting because it is that's like the emotional data behind what we're feeling 
-hmm. and why you're feeling what you're feeling. And I think we forget that we are who we are because of what has happened to us in our lives and how we were brought up, the parents you have that raised you, the parents you have that didn't raise you, whatever it was that happened in your life up to this point causes us to have these filters the way that we see the world. And we all have different filters. Your childhood was different than my childhood. And every experience that we have builds on that. And it can be really hard when something traumatic has happened to rebuild how you're seeing the world. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, just an interesting other tool that I have um, that kind of helps paint the picture of energy in a way that's like very tangible for people. I love that. What a great tool. Yeah, we'll have to talk more about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thank you, Caroline, for joining today. It was so fun to catch up with you and fun to do it in this capacity. Hell yeah. Thank you so much, Lauren. This was so awesome. And I think it's such a great topic. You know, we, again, I think we'll all go through burnout at some point or another. And I love that you're getting into the weeds on why and how to help people through it. Awesome. Well, thank you again for joining. This was a blast. We'll do it again. Sounds good. Thanks, Lauren. Thank you all for joining episode number two of the Positively Unique podcast. If you are interested in learning more about what Caroline does and how she helps her clients, you can visit her website at www.carefullytherapy.com. Next week on my podcast, I will be sharing my own burnout story, so you can look forward to that. Thank you all for listening and have a great day.